You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumare. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumare. You know, Mary, I was thinking, uh, I was 10 years old when Nixon and Kennedy debated. But I, I watched it. I know I did, and I remember. I think they debated three times. I don't think I watched the other ones. Uh, and I, I don't really remember this, but I've read about it since then. The hot topic in that first presidential debate was what we should do about the islands of Kamoi and Matsu. Uh, you remember this hot controversy, right? And that, like, <laughs> dominated it. But nobody remembers that at all. These were two islands off of China. You know, what we remember is whether Nixon was sweating and how Kennedy looked so, looked so cool. So, you know, out of everything that goes into debates, sometimes it's not really the substance that makes that much difference. It's Trump lurking behind Hillary Clinton uh, it's uh, it's Reagan, right? Who says, uh, "Where's the beef?" Right. No, 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 no. That was no. that wasn't Reagan. That no. was. Um, oh, it's funny. I, I'm putting Dol- that together with Mondale. Am I right or not? Yeah, Mondale. I think. Said yeah. That. yeah, yeah. No, Reagan. Uh, you know, he's famously, uh, "Are you better off today than you were?" Right. Or the other great line that Reagan had was, I won't hold your age and experience against you. That was Absolutely. a great line. <laughs> and I, I want to get into my point, but I mean, maybe the greatest line I think ever was Lloyd Benson. Right. He didn't end up winning. Talking to Dan Quayle. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine and Senator. You're no Jack Kennedy. And the look on Dan Quayle's face was incredible. I, I, <laughs> I guess I I say all these things thinking about what do you think we should look forward to? Uh, The debates are, oh, just about a month month from now, a little bit less than that, three weeks from now on September 29th. What do you think? What's going to happen? What's going to go on? Well, I think you and I offline talked about this a little bit because I would really like to see Joe Biden just be himself. And I think the contrast between Biden and Trump is so extreme that if he were just himself in that folksy kind of way that he has, the contrast between that and Trump's hyperbolic way will be what the country's looking for, which is to be calmed down. Is some not no chaos. Candidate. Yeah, is that the key? The contrast between who Biden is and who Trump is. It feels that way. I mean, just in the last couple of days, you have this mirror image of Trump going to Kenosha, not meeting with the Blake family, pulling some guy that doesn't own a business but used to own a business as a stand-in for the destruction and the looting and the you know, fires that were caused in Kenosha, just the constant 
just disingenuous stage crafting of the Trump presidency. And Biden goes and basically says, well, I thought hate was dead, but I was really wrong. Well, I thought that was a very powerful moment today. Uh, and, and he took it very seriously. I was wrong, and I have to say I was wrong. I thought hate was dead. How did that strike you? I thought it was very powerful. And then his follow-up to that, which is that when you lift the rock and you give air, when leadership gives air to the hate, it comes out or it grows again, however he said it. It was quite well written, actually. And I thought that's a very clear and um, damning indictment of Trump. So I don't know if you remember yesterday when we were talking and I said, who's going to say, you know, sir, have you no shame? And in a sense, that becomes Biden saying, you know, have we as a country no shame? Yeah, but, I, I, but to I, allow that. Right. And I I mean, I want to go back to that topic in a second, but I I've got to give that historical context because it's so meaningful. Uh, Joe McCarthy had pushed and pushed and, you know, worked all of his evil, you know, which is so directly linked to Donald Trump because Joe McCarthy's right-hand man was Roy Cohn, who became Donald Trump's mentor and really taught him how to fight back against, against people. Uh, and finally, in the army hearings, when McCarthy was attacking this young man, Joe Welsh, uh, senior, very kind of aristocratic counsel uh, for the Army, looked across him and said, after all this, sir, have you no sense of decency? Have you no shame? And somehow it caught McCarthy in the camera showing McCarthy sitting there trying to get back to his papers and befuddled is is so important and the the spiral down and out of control of McCarthy happened after that i guess we wonder could the debates be could the campaign be the joe welsh moment the moment where we finally get to donald trump and say have you no decency it's a great point john and there's a a new book and i'm going to forget the author's name but it's about mccarthy and a lot of the conclusions he draws, uh, you know, and the parallels he draws, I was, I should say, to Trump and um, Trump's demagoguery and all of that. One of the points that he makes is that McCarthy was late to the game of red baiting. So again, this is a big historical and it would take longer than we have to describe what that is. But basically... Um, a history in the 20th century of attacking communists. And by McCarthy picks that up as a, a political issue, and he has a very faltering kind of campaign. He's not really doing that well. And he starts to talk about all these communists that are in the U.S. government. And then he just ruins so many lives. And one of the parallels is that Trump, in, in essence, is late to the racist game as well. But he sees it as a campaign issue, and he has run with it, and he has run this the country on that for the last four years. 
So when you have the falling apart of Joe McCarthy, it's because also the country is exhausted of that issue and wants to move forward. It's played itself out. It's jumped the shark, as it were. And are we close to that moment? And can Biden do what no other candidate could do, which is to say, hey, man, you know, that, that's just not who we are. We don't believe that. Or, or the way I'd like to hear him say it is something that Joe Biden likes is to look across the straight stage and say, wait a minute, Jack. <laughs> I <laughs> you, love that. you know how Biden loves to say this? Oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about here, Jack? <laughs> it's such an over, that's a lot of malarkey, Jack. Uh, and I, I, and I like think to- that's very, that's very possible, John, because, you know, like if Trump starts talking to Biden in the crazy way he was talking to Laura Ingram the other day, Biden just knows too much about how government actually works to not say something like that. Like, come on, Jack. It's it just that's not how it goes. And well, Trump can't be an outsider anymore. He's the president right now. Yeah, he and he has to. And I think the point you made earlier is so important. If if we were part of the team coaching Joe, Joe Biden. I think the right advice is, Joe, be yourself. You've been it all these years. There's no sense reinventing yourself uh, right now. Should we coach you on what he's probably going to ask on some fact-checking things? But I would not even tell Biden to go nuts about fact-checking. I would confront him on just exactly what you just said. Joe Biden was in the White House for eight years. He knows how it works. He knows what presidential authority is. And I think standing up to Trump when he tries to weasel around those things and say, stop it, just stop it. You are not going to voice that kind of thing off on on the American public. I think that's the right way to go. That's a great point. It would be so interesting. Let's say, for example, that um, Trump decides he wants to go all Hunter Biden on him. And Joe says, listen, Donald, we're not going to spend this time that the American people have given us the sacred trust we have of our time and their time to talk about our kids. This is not appropriate. What we're going to talk about is what should we, what is the best way to address China going forward and just pivot away from it always with the thinking that we think more of the American people than that. We're going to manage this better than that. Yes. And I think pivot to, because I think it's still the most crucial issue. What are we going to do about the pandemic and what it's doing to this country? And frankly, Mr. President, Mr. Trump, let's address the fact that you have failed. You have failed for what is it, five months, six months? What are the actions that a real president should take? I'll tell you what they are if you don't know them. But instead, what I'm hearing from you is hydrochloroquine. What I'm hearing from you is Lysol and so forth. And I would not go all Joe Scarborough on making that list uh, again. But I think it is important that we confront him, 
and I think we both agree, confront him in a way that says the American people want us to restore decency to the White House. And that's what I'm I'm offering. And I think that's a choice people will embrace. I do, too. And I and I think the polling is already demonstrating that I mean, all these polls came out today and Trump thinks he was going to get a bump from this law and order thing and going out there and, you know, getting all crazy on what that we talked about yesterday, anarchists and everything. And it's just not working. It's not moving the polls because I think for most people, what Trump is saying is not reflecting their reality. So you have to reflect people's reality. And people's reality is they're stuck at home because of the virus. They can't go out to their favorite restaurants. They're afraid to send their kids to school. They can't travel. You can't use the US, U.S. passport even to get to Canada. This is what people know. And that's what they want to talk about. You can't expect people to just be gaslighted about their everyday lives. It doesn't make any sense. If I were Biden, I might even say to Trump, listen, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you thought you would be, we would be fine to just kind of ignore it, maintain the economy. And, but that hasn't worked. I know what works because I've been through it before. And you had to fix the pandemic before you fixed the economy. So you, you tried something, it didn't work. I think the American people need to give us a chance. I think you're exactly right. I think that's good advice. Listen, I got to close with this real quick. A horse walks into a bar, orders a shot of whiskey. Bartender, having seen him, says, I got to tell you the truth. Uh, I think you're an alcoholic. The horse says, I don't think I am. And the horse disappears. Now, actually, this joke is about Descartes, and I think, therefore, I am. But I didn't want to put Descartes before the horse. Oh, my Lord. Oh, no. Oh, my Lord. And with that. We're done. We're gone. Bye. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.